Osiris. Welcome to The State of the Garden. This is the official podcast of the New Jersey Cannabis Industry Association. I'm your host, Tom Marshall. Hello and welcome to State of the Garden. I'm Tom Marshall, your host, and a tiny bit of housekeeping. I just want to mention that State of the Garden is a proud member of the Osiris Podcast Network. You can find music and culture podcasts at osirispod.com. Now today, I'm here catching up with a friend, Jay Rosenthal. Hi, Jay. Hello. And um, Jay has a, a business called Business of Cannabis. And uh, it's a media platform of sorts. Um, but I've also heard it referred to in, our, in the NJCIA as our gateway to Canada. Um, could you just sort of... Uh, elucidate what what do we mean by that sure so uh uh thank first of all thank you for having me this is lovely yeah nice uh, i'm glad i'm glad you could come down uh so um i became uh connected to hugh uh from the njcia that's hugh o'burn, hugh our, o'burn. Our, our president yeah uh so probably five or six months ago uh we have a mutual friend in new jersey um she um was i'm from my from what i understand she was looking for ways to find medication for her son um, and reached out to Hugh to help make that happen, to, to talk about issues, to talk about how to make that happen. Uh, she said, you know, I have this friend, Jay, who's in Canada doing something really, uh, really interesting related to cannabis. You guys should connect. Hugh and I connected and became close, close friends, but also uh, a lot of policy, finance, uh, regulatory issues that, that are happening here. We've, we've also dealt with in, in Canada. Now, so, Canada is ahead of us in many ways. Uh, in many ways, yes. And in many ways, no. But in many ways, yes. So f- the full country is, they don't have like, there's no weird division of states. Every every cannabis law affects the entire country of Canada. That's correct. And, it, it, as and, it stands now. Okay. And in each province, they have, I'll say, distribution and sale differentiation. Oh. But not about, um, it's not illegal in some provinces, legal in others. Okay. And then... Um, it also kind of followed the pattern that we're seeing where medical is first and then adult use is second. Correct. And you're right on the cusp of, of legality for adult use? Depending on who you believe, it's either two or four months away. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Now, so do you, so, so with a company name like Business of Cannabis, I imagine that you are right in the thick of it. We are in the thick of it. So uh, about a year ago, a year exactly, we, uh, me and two business partners were um, trying to figure out really what our role in the cannabis space was going to be. We were advocates for uh, adult use uh, legalization. We were interested in the space. We all knew people in different parts of the sector from finance to legal to licensed producers to manufacturers to branding people. So we, we had a lot of people in the space and every person would introduce us to the next. And, and after about a month and a half sort of meeting with everybody we knew, uh, we said, you know, this industry is really interesting and it's super innovative. And unlike many sectors in Canada, it's really where people were pushing all their chips in. Right. Because Canada is a fairly staid place, right? There, there, isn't, there hasn't been a history of sort of people taking massive risks, certainly with money or in business. Um, it's changing a bit now and cannabis is really leading the way. Um, so we said, this is really compelling. How do we help tell this story? And if you kept 
careful notes, then before long you realize that you had quite a valuable Rolodex, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, Canada, that's exactly correct. Canada has about 30-something million people, so it's roughly, it's smaller than California, uh, but it seems smaller than that. I mean, the country is vast in terms of land, yeah. but in terms of population centers and where industry actually is driven, it's Toronto, it's Vancouver, it's Calgary, it's Montreal, oh, okay. uh, and the bigger cities, right? And, right? and Toronto, where we are, it's three-plus million people. It's the home of banking. It's the home of uh, legal. It's the home of a lot of things. Um, and so we were well positioned, to your point. We didn't even know, but we were really well positioned. And so we started doing this. We started say, let's help tell the story because, um, in, it, yes, there is a robust medical system now, uh, uh, medical cannabis. Uh, there's about 260,000 patients. Wow. So it's, it's relatively large. Yeah. Um, but we didn't understand what the process was to say, get a prescription from your doctor, how to access licensed producers. And very few people did in the public uh, then and even now. So we said, how do we help tell the story about the legitimate, growing, innovative industry that's happening in Canada when what most people see and what they think about is like the dispensaries in downtown Vancouver and increasingly in downtown Toronto, which have no place in the highly regulated industry that is evolving and will develop in the future. In what way are they different? Like, what, what do you mean they have no place? Is that like um, the old, uh, you know, the picture that I have in my head of the Amsterdam coffee shops where you can actually purchase and then use in the store? Yeah, depending on who you talk to, this is the black market or the gray market. Okay. Uh, so they call it the gray market in BC because in British Columbia, it's much more part of the ethos and you can actually get a, a business license and open up a cannabis shop but where the product is coming from and how the federal government looks at it it is illegal so what's developing is much more um regulated much more heavily regulated there's many more systems to it the provinces are going to take part the federal government's taking part and those sort of shops that have developed over time are going to go away okay that that's okay so that's more in line of what my picture in my head of the canada market is um sort of highly governmentalized and um you know no place do you walk into a store and see colorful displays of like 20 different brands right yeah it's it's uh i don't know if you've ever been to new hampshire but in new hampshire they have government liquor stores yes it's similar to that even with our beverages in in ontario you get your beverages from the liquor control board of ontario the lcbo they have beautiful stores but you can only get it there we have that and we have the beer store which is sort of the beer equivalent of a liquor store and they're government-owned um, and operated. But, and, but yeah. now for alcohol, several different brands exist. Oh, lots of different brands exist. And there's advertising. But for marijuana... There won't be. And this is the debate that's happening now on the federal level. What does it look like moving forward? I mean, there's this robust medical plan. There's going to be adult use. It's going to be how you get it and where you buy it is governed by the provinces. But the federal government has regulatory uh, oversight on advertising. So what does it look market. like right now, like supply chain uh, from the point of view of the patient? So the patient, uh, let me walk through sort of how you get a prescription yeah. in Canada. So you either go to your doctor or you go to a special doctor who is sort of billing themselves as a cannabis doctor. Okay. Or you get a referral. With no stigma. That's a perfectly valid thing. It's a good business to be in right okay. now. Okay. Um, or you get a referral from your doctor to one of these doctors, but any doctor can write a prescription. Okay. So I know that in Pennsylvania, you need a special sort of certificate to yes. become a certifying doctor. That's not the case in Canada. There is there is stigma attached to having... To, some doctors won't write the, the script, but many will, an increasing number. There's about 13% of all doctors have written some sort of prescription for cannabis. So that's not none. There's certainly much more work to do, but it's not none. 
Uh, and those 13% of doctors have written 260,000 patients into the system. But then what happens is you get assigned or you assign yourself to one or more licensed producers directly. So right now there's 100-something licensed producers in Canada, about half of which actually have product to get to you. So you sign up, say you have a prescription for a gram a day, right? So 30 grams for a month. You can split that between two licensed producers or keep it within one. And then you have this one-on-one -on -one relationship with a licensed producer and their job is to get you product that you want. And what form does that product take currently? Two forms, one dry flower and two oils. Oh, okay. And the oils are, you know, you know, whatever sort of concentration. There's CBD heavy. There's, you know, THC specific. Uh, but it's the, the form factors are really limited in Canada, right? Uh, and will be for a while, which is sort of an interesting conversation. But but right now you can get dry flower and oils from your licensed producer. Um, and some licensed producers have, uh, almost by user reviews, have the best stuff. And some have average stuff. Some can't keep their patients happy. Some keep their patients very, very satisfied. <laughs> and it's interesting because in the future, certainly in the next five years, this one-on-one -on -one relationship with patients is going to remain. So huh. it's a really, if you have 50,000 patients and some licensed producers do, this is sort of your core, core customer, core I patient. Right. Because you'll be able to talk to them all the time. You'll be able to get them product when you send them product. I mean, I have one from a, a licensed producer called Hydroprothecary. And they send you the most gorgeous box you've ever seen. It's almost like you're buying an iPad. Like you open it up and there's a magazine in it. There's lots of information. It's beautifully designed. It comes in glass bottles. And it's, it's obviously the product is wonderful, but so is the whole experience around it. So now that is varied packaging. It is, but only if you're a patient of that licensed producer. So oh, you've okay. already decided to go to that licensed producer okay. when you get the packaging. I see. In some ways... The picture you're painting is uh, of a, a much more liberal population up there in Canada with none of the sort of moral hang-ups that we have about marijuana. How come it just, you know, a, a thin border, imaginary border separates us? Why hasn't that spilled over? Is it really like you're, you're, you're firmly a separate country than the U.S.? I, you know what I mean? I, I mean, that is certainly part of it. Uh, and... From my understanding, I'm not Canadian, so this is my sort you're, of interpretation. You're, you're from I'm, here. I'm from Boston. Okay. And uh, But what I understand is where you would expect that to be the case, this sort of anti-legalization uh, bent, in which is in from rural communities. Like if you, like here, you would expect more a more conservative bent. Marijuana and cannabis is part of the culture, okay. right? Because people can grow it outside. They grow it. They live in fairly remote places. It just, it's, not, it's not as if it's been like wide open legal forever, but there was never this... Um, moralistic sense, at least okay. my understanding of it. Okay. That doesn't that doesn't suggest that there aren't people that are against legalization. There certainly are. Right. And it's and it's it's become very political because Prime Minister Justin Trudeau made this part of his platform and this is he's implementing this part of his platform. Um, and so the liberals, capital L liberals, this is part of what they're gonna own in the next election. Okay. Conservatives, capital C conservatives, progressive conservatives is what they're called in Canada, uh, have a much more skeptical eye towards it. Um, and have for a while. And it's important, this, this is an important distinction. Um, where medical cannabis has gotten to in, this, in Canada now has been through the courts. So patients have said, it is our right to have access to this medicine for ourselves. And the courts have agreed. And that is really laddered up to, you can grow it at home, you can take your homegrown license and, act, and, and aggregate it with a, a, a grower. And that's sort of how this thing developed. And several years ago, the government said, you know what, now we're actually going to make it 
you can do all those things, yes, but we're also going to open it up to sort of third-party growers that you can actually access through the medical program that I just described. And wow. that's how it actually ballooned. Okay. And the other part and the key differentiator of why where we are ahead in Canada is because it's federally, there's a big federal uh, medical program, it's allowed the capital markets to get involved. So it's a very expensive endeavor to open up an indoor growing operation that is 30 or 300 or 800,000 square feet. It's really expensive, right? Right, And to have all the third-party testing, to be able to grow at that scale, to have the security involved, to be able to access these patients, it's very expensive. And you need to access capital markets in most cases. And that hasn't been a problem for Canadian companies because it's federally legal. Right? So there's two stock exchanges, the Canadian Securities Exchange and the TSX. And companies that need capital go there and access the capital markets. People can invest in this company. They can use that money to build large operations. And because of that, it has a much more serious level of legitimacy than I think what's happening here. Yeah. Although, uh, in some respects, despite not having to overcome as many hurdles as we have here with the federal prohibition still in place, you're not that much further ahead of, say, New Jersey. You, you know, the parallels are very similar because you have medical being made more robust, shall I say, and uh, legalization is on the cusp. Yeah, I actually think in many ways we are ahead, in, in, as we described, and many ways we're, we're behind. Uh, the government's going very, very slowly on different form factors, right? So we can only have dry flour and maybe some oils. And that's when it's going to become legal recreationally. Okay. That's not what people want. By experience in California and Colorado, that's less than 50% of what people are buying, right? So while the government thinks they're doing something, and I think there's this, this perception that Canada is being very progressive on this, when it becomes adult use recreational sometime this year, you're going to go into a store, whether it's a beautifully designed private store or a government-owned store like in Ontario, you're going to go see some pretty crappy packaging <laughs> that looks all the same, is very plain and bland, and you're only going to be able to get one or two things. I mean, will it be like a white, like I'm thinking of the movie Brazil, like a white bag with the word marijuana on it in black. Uh, that would be very cool <laughs> compared to what's going to happen. It'll be that except underneath that there'll be two thirds of it. That'll be a warning label. <laughs> so it's, it's exactly as described, but it's actually going to have a massive warning label. So what the government has done to my, to my mind is said, we want to make this starting like restrictions on tobacco, plain packaging in this, in this case, in separate stores, no variety, no sort of brand differentiated on package. And then we'll see how it goes. Oh, okay. And then maybe we'll reel it back okay. as opposed to the 50 years of regulations on tobacco, which has gotten them to where they are now, which is like in Canada, you're behind a screen. You can't see the packaging. So anybody who's in the business now, the Marlboros of the world love it because there's no competition oh. and they've done their marketing over a hundred years. And so they're the brand leader, right? It's, but in this case, there's no brand leader. It's just everybody's in the same boat. Um, with plain packaging. So it's, it's, it's interesting. But the, the one other part that I think is a key differentiator of what has happened and will happen in New Jersey is um, dispensaries, right? Like proper dispensaries where you go in with a doctor's note or can right. and be prescribed medicine, medicine and go buy it. Um, that, that seems to be an important part of attacking some of the social ills around sort of opioids, right? There's been a bunch of research saying when people have access to dispensaries to go buy product, it actually drives down opioid addiction or even prescriptions of it. And that part, the Canadian government, I think, has missed because now there actually are hurdles to go get medical cannabis. You have to go to a doctor. You have to be prescribed. You actually have to have a place to actually receive a package because it's all delivered through the mail. Right. There actually is this that creates a necessary burden to actually get it to yourself. 
right? Because you actually have to have a home that you can mail it to. Have, like there's, there's burdens to actually get it, even though that wasn't implied. Oh, when you, when you told me about the relationship, the, the one-on-one relationship with the dispensary, I was, in, I was still envisioning the person going to the dispensary. No, it's actually by mail. Oh. Everything right now that's legal in Canada is through the mail. Oh, okay. So there's no people driving around with packages of marijuana. They are. There are, for sure, but Except they're illegal. they're post people. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Well, the, the ones that are doing it legally are Canada Post. The okay. ones that are doing it illegally are the, your guy. Right. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the black market yeah. people. Right. And uh, is the black market still thriving, or has it gotten eaten into significantly as far as you know? It's thriving. I mean, for sure it's thriving. And this has been the government said, we want to do two things when we do this. We're going to drive out the black market, and we're going to keep access away from kids. So everything they do is with that lens. It's not about promoting an industry. It's not about talking about the medical benefits. Right. It's not about it's, driving down. It's our... regulating it to make it better and safer. Yes. Okay. Uh, better, interesting word, because people believe, people in the black market believe the product will be worse. Oh. Whereas the people who are growing it have spent hundreds of Yeah, millions what does of the dollars. government know about growing weed? <laughs> That's exactly right. That's why <laughs> I've been doing it. it turns out, because of people like you, they probably know a lot. I mean, look, you get the dry flower from licensed producers. It's as good as it. It's as good as, well, it's good as anything I've had before. Good as you, it can get, right? Because they have access to all this money now, as you said, all this capital and, uh, re, and research. And they're the, it, it, you know, they are the world leaders in growing uh, premium cannabis inside. When you say they, you're talking Canada. Canada, licensed producers in Canada. Oh, okay. So we're tapping into some of that by having people like you here. We're tapping into some of that expertise, the indoor grow expertise that Canada has developed over the last 10, 15 years. I think that's correct. And... Um, access to capital markets because people in Canada, certainly uh, the capital markets are much more comfortable investing in cannabis companies. Last week, MedMen, which is, is, is they're not in New Jersey yet, but they're in New York and California. Yeah. Atlanta. I went to an opening of a dispensary on fifth Avenue. Exactly. So which, these guys yeah. are a huge, a relatively large multi-state player in the okay. States just went public in Canada last week oh, right? okay. because, because to expand the way they want to expand, they want to access the capital markets. You cannot do that on Wall Street yet. Uh, right. Although it's interesting because uh, they've partnered with a Canadian company to grow their uh, dispense, their model, their retail model in Canada. The company they've partnered with is called Kronos Group. They own three licensed producers in Canada. And ironically, Kronos Group is still listed in Canada, but they're also listed on NASDAQ. So there's this interplay between capital markets where legitimate Canadian companies can access the capital markets here, but U.S. companies cannot access the markets here. They have to access them. In so what's the Canada. difference? Like, So you're saying a, a Canadian company can invest on a state-by-state -state basis. Is that right? Well, so there's two stock exchanges in, in, the, in Canada. One is called the CSE. One is called the TSX. The TSX is viewed as the more premier listing. If you are listed on the TSX, you cannot have operations in, in the States. Oh, okay. They've made that sort of uh, regulation. Okay. Uh, on the, whereas the CSE says, look, we if it's legal in the state in which you're operating and you have operations in both countries, that's fine. That's okay. So that's why you see MedMen okay. going public on the CSE and a lot of other companies as well. Okay. So their incorporation, so to speak, in the states is on a state-by-state -state basis course but yet they have the uh headquarters at home in canada or, or they they have some sort of foreign company there that they've listed that they, they can access capital and bring it back here wow okay i didn't know that it worked that way it, it's a, it neither did i until i started learning about it but it is an interesting it, it shows the sort of only having state-by-state -state regulations in in the u.s really burdens companies growth 
really bur- it's not it's very difficult to be a multi-state operator as opposed to having a national presence. So right now, um, are you a patient? Yeah. <laughs> may I ask? It's sure. personal. May I ask sure. what for? Sure, insomnia. Okay. Uh, and there's there's any number of reasons why you could get it. Right. Yeah. And, and so the, the indications are, are, are plenty. Yes. And so can, uh, I won't say specifically what state I'm thinking of right now, but my friends who aren't sick are patients as well and patients in air quotes. Does yeah. that happen in Canada too? Y- yes. Okay. And so there's 260,000 air quotes patients. Right. We'll see how many of those remain patients as adult use becomes available. However... The relationship between licensed producer and patient is a very good one. I see. Right? Because it's you get you get product you want, they're catering to you, they know that adult use is happening. The licensed producers know. So they're doing everything they can to keep those patients, whether they be five thousand or fifty thousand that are part of their company involved, because that's it's a good part good chunk of the business. That's great. Now, um, how big do these warehouses get that they grow in? Well, it's interesting. So um, most of them get their license on a, on a, I'll say, relatively small footprint. So anywhere between ten and 30,000 square feet, okay. which is not small. I mean, a 30,000 square foot building, it's considerable. Right. But what's happening now is they're really ramping up because they're, they're ramping up for an adult use market. So there are some greenhouses that are 800,000 square feet. There's a oh couple that are, built, that are growing a million plus square feet. Oh, man, that greenhouse. is enormous. It's big. You see the pictures from like a drone and it's like you're looking at... Just a massive building. It's, it's interesting. One company, Aurora, built a facility 800,000 square feet plus on the Edmonton Airport land. Oh, wow. So you can see like... When you fly like, in. <laughs> yeah, but it looks like a huge airport building. It's just a greenhouse that's on an airport. Um, so there's people that grow in greenhouses. You can build considerably more under glass just because you don't need the, the full infrastructure of a building. And many more are, um, I would say, closer in to sort of cities and... At range anywhere from ten thousand to fifty thousand to one hundred thousand square feet. Interesting. I'm a, and I'm asking as a New Jerseyan because we've gotten used to having one of the largest seaports in the world, Port of Elizabeth. Uh, we've gotten used to being sort of the state of warehouses, and there's tons and tons of warehouses, a hundred thousand feet and up. Yeah. All around, I imagine some of those are going to be tasked to to start growing. And it's it. You know, I'm not a I'm not an architect nor a grower, but. Um, it's not the most challenging thing to do. The, the most challenging thing I think for Canadian companies that have done it is the regulations have changed as, as time has gone on. So ones that got a license sort of three, four years ago, they made you put in essentially like a million dollar vault that was like super strong steel and rebar and cement. And then they just, one day they just said, we don't, you don't need that anymore. <laughs> because it was clear that nobody needed that. Because in addition to that sort of security precaution, you need a, a wired fence, you need you know 4K cameras, and you need you know one in every angle of every building and store that footage for two years. I see. And a lot of those uh, sort of security regulations have sort of lessened. Right. So people that have got their license four years ago have really robust security, and the ones that got it more recently have security, but it's not. It's not like Fort Knox. That vault inside now must be like a fun relic, like a, the party room. Well, you can see when you go visit these places, and we've had folks up from New Jersey, and you can see which places, when they got their license, by what, which vault they have. But oh. the vaults are a considerable investment. And they'll still use them, the ones that have put them in, because now, they do need to store product. Now, just being naive, so product is, is growing on this entire 800,000 square feet. What's put in a tiny little vault? Uh, once it's cured, they oh, put okay. it in. Well, sometimes it's not a tiny then vault. Then it becomes but... more valuable once yeah. it's cured. And that's what you want to steal, theoretically. 
Yes, even okay. though you're going to be stolen on camera. Like, people are yeah. going to know where you are. But but it goes from the vault, and then it goes to packaging, because they actually, I mean, this is the thing. They go from planting seeds all the way to, like, a robust e-commerce, like Amazon, because they actually have to package things and then get it to you by mail. Oh, okay. So it is this sort of full-circle warehouse. That's incredible. That mostly about growing, then about curing, and then about getting it out the door. But you can imagine companies that start from zero that actually need to ramp up to getting you product to tens of thousands of patients on an ongoing basis. And they have to set up, you know, uh, customer service call lines and web portals and secure transactions. And there's a company um, based uh, in Toronto, based in Calgary, actually called Merco, which has become sort of the default platform to um, verify who's buying what. So, for example, like you can use Shopify, like to actually do a commerce shop. Right. But you need to verify that you, Tom, are, are a patient that this is your prescription, that you're not sort of shopping it around and over-prescribing yourself, that you that you live where you live, that the IP address matches where you're supposed to be, and that you've you've secured all these 200 data points before you press buy. Uh. And so it does that verification and ships it to you. But this is like, this is the innovation that's happening in Canada, which I, I'm not sure is going to happen here because the regulatory environment isn't as strong here in, the, in this respect. Right. Um, you're saying that all those things that you talked about is sort of preventing a secondary market. Someone buying too much and then selling it to their friends who aren't, you know, licensed to get it for whatever reason. Yeah. But, but theoretically, license making it available for adult use will eliminate that anyway. Sure. Except this is an interesting point. So all the provinces on the adult use side, each province has their own way they're going to do this. Uh, the most secure or most government. Uh, run is Ontario. They're going to have the Ontario Cannabis Stores. That's actually going to be a thing. It's going to be called the OCS, uh, where you go into a government store buy, to buy your dry flour and a little bit of oil. Uh, in some provinces, they'll have private retail that'll have a shop. It's all going to be the same product packaging, but it'll be set up differently. Right? It'll look beautiful. They'll have sort of the uh, Med Men style uh, shop. Um, but each province, even if they have a private retail model or a blended model, they've all kept the online sales. Because I think there's this belief that eat, whether you're going to a beautiful shop or a new shop, or whatever it is, there's going to be the stigma about going to a shop and buying cannabis. Whereas going online and buying it from the government, you know, what kind of stigma is that? Like, of course, they're going yeah. to know you're buying it anyway. Right. And they'll ship it to your door. It's just much more convenient. And the markup is much better for the province. The one thing that you don't have at all uh, because of the requirements of establishing your address in Canada um, before you buy any, you don't have any walk-ins. No one's coming from across the border to buy weed from Canada. Not right now, but there there will be. And I think the U.S. Border Patrol is getting excited about that, <laughs> right? Because you can imagine we cross the border in Buffalo all the time from Toronto. And right now they don't really ask. I'm American, but they, they don't really ask those types of questions. But I guarantee you, if you are a 20-year-old at, you know, University of Buffalo, um, you know, around spring break, when you come back from Toronto, they are going to ask and search your car. Ah. And it's going to be... It's going to be bad for you. It like, could get ugly if yeah. you, yeah, until New York becomes legal. Exactly. Then. But even then, right? I mean, you tell me, I mean, the state laws between states or between countries. Oh, right. Like, you know, I know, I mean, this is the interesting part, and we've had this conversation with the NJCIA, is that places out west where it's legal, and there's a bunch of contiguous states that are, but nobody lives in the border of those states, mostly. Right. right? Nobody lives in the border of California, Nevada, right? Nobody lives in the border of California, Oregon, right? Those are pretty remote borders. Compared yeah. to compared to New Jersey and New York, right, right. So the interstate part is not as big a as big a deal, but you can imagine when New Jersey and and Pennsylvania and and New York, yeah. Like, so are are people going to be able to carry it back and forth legally? And will there even be sort of this reciprocity between states? 
right? Because you can imagine a MedMen, right? That actually is in the is in the full circle business of growing, manufacturing, and distributing and selling. Like, will they be able to grow it in New Jersey and sell it in New York? I mean, I love these questions. It's going to be a constitutional challenge, but it is when, an interesting question. Yeah, exactly. When they're all legal, will will the you know the veil still will it be lifted, so to speak, between the borders? But uh, certainly now, um, you know, the theory is. Uh, Hoboken and Jersey City will have dispensaries that are going to be frequented by New York City people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people like uh, Easy Pass are excited about that and the PATH trains and all that. Uh, you know, it's going to be a quick little boon for them. I'm not sure to what extent that's going to be policed or sort of ignored. But it sounds like you guys have been thinking about that a little bit more on your borders. Well, it's also interesting because each province roughly has the same setup or you'll be able to buy in every province. But there are some variation on age. Just mm. like alcohol, where in Quebec, it's the, the drinking age is 18, and oh. Ontario, it's 19. Oh, okay. And there is, you know, you can imagine, like, my wife grew up in Toronto. She's, you know, they would take the four-hour drive to the Quebec border yeah. to buy it and come back because stupid kids do that. But that's <laughs> going to be, that is going to be one of the issues that's going to be challenging is the cross-border buying between provinces because um, of age. So, Jay, this is really interesting what you've been telling me about Canada and the differences and also parallels between New Jersey and, and Canada right now. Uh, what brings you to town? I, I understand you're, you're working on some cool stuff right now. Yeah, so uh, tomorrow uh, there's a New Jersey Cannabis Industry Association, Business of Cannabis, and a law firm, um, Saul Ewing, is putting on a day-long symposium really about what's happening in New Jersey from a regulatory environment for if you want to start a business here, how do you do it? How do you get it funded? Where do you go? Um, to really all the issues and an update about what's happening here, both in New Jersey and what that means for sort of even states bordering it. Uh, and we're bringing down, so I, I'm speaking about, we're bringing down one company from Canada that I think is really on the cusp of what is so Canadian about this is that because it's so heavily regulated and the government from the earliest day said, we want to know where all product is all the time where in its life form, where it's going, who's buying it, right, everything. And a company has developed really out of necessity, but then has grown tremendously called Ample Organics. And Ample is a seed-to-sale tracking company. That's its origins. The first license delivered in Canada was to a company called Peace Naturals. The brother-in-law of Peace Naturals' founder was a systems engineer uh, for a pharmaceutical, for a um, medical devices company. He said, I know how to work with Health Canada. I know how to build these robust sort of infrastructures around systems. And he started, so he, he did one on spec for those guys. And then he said, but if, if they're going to need it and there are 1,600 licenses outstanding, it's going to be 1,600 people that are going to need exactly what we've just done. So he created this company, Ample Organics. But what it's interesting is that I think it elucidates sort of or, or shines a light on what's happening in that in a highly regulated system, there's this really interesting model for innovation, right? Because every, needing to know where everything is at all times is an interesting challenge. Right. It's what happens with pharma a lot. But at that point, pharma companies or even pharma systems companies were not saying, hey, we'll get into the cannabis space. They're doing that now, for sure, but they weren't doing it before. Right. Uh, there's so, a lot of innovations required in packaging, testing, tracking, etc. Yeah. There's And so Ample's now become the sort of backbone company of which the whole industry has developed in Canada. But all these... This is not the scientific term or the technology term, but these plugins. So now they have this interface with um, clinicians to actually enter them, ent- you know, enter their patients and then get them to licensed producers quickly. They've uh, the testings, right? The the sort of uh, all the labs are now connected in because you want that to be as seamless and as quick as possible. And these really robust testing labs have developed in Canada. One called Anandia, one called Molecular Science, where they 
are really the testers, the third party testers, which is required for everybody. And they have these, some of them have these mobile labs that they'll take to the, during harvest season. So you can actually test it on site. And then the huge truck goes away and it goes to the next one to do the testing. But it's really this robust infrastructure is developed around servicing this highly regulated industry. And it, it had developed because when it started, nobody wanted to be in the space. And now yeah. they all do. All that infrastructure you described would be amazing if uh, New Jersey were able to implement and we got off and running on the right foot right away, uh, learning from your guys' incredible stuff, which is why you're here. Which is why I'm here, because I think this has been the experience or not been the experience in California and Colorado, where those that was driven by voter mandate that said on this date, if this is passed, we're going to have legal cannabis available, right? And that happened. And then the government has to catch up. Whereas what Canada did, it was by first by the courts and then by sort of uh, regulatory mandate right. that said, we're going to do this thing and everybody comply with this. Whereas California is trying to catch up with some regulatory compliance. Right. And many or most people are not entering that legal regulated system. And Canada, it's the only system. So it's interesting, the two states right now that are um, that marijuana is becoming legal via legislation rather than voter mandate are Vermont and New Jersey. And so it's going to be interesting to watch in parallel these two states attempt to, to enact this and hopefully improve upon what's happened. The weird thing to me is what's happening in Vermont and the way that they legalized. Uh, and so even though we're similar in the legislation aspect, we're incredibly different in the way that it's legal. For example, I think Vermont is essentially just uh, decriminalization and you're allowed to grow you're not allowed to sell all this stuff so they're not really taking part in the commerce aspect which we you know obviously are here and it's and and that may be a function of the size of the state right and actually the sort of origins of how people believe the world should work versus you know vermont has one view of the world and new jersey has quite another and i think new jersey look if, if you look at new jersey's role in the sort of wider economy either on the east coast or nationally it really is a hub of sort of serving other states. Yeah, right? very and much it, so. And, and I mean, it has a massive population of its own. Lots of people come through and to here on, a, on an annual or even daily basis. Right. Um, so, so through that lens, it makes perfect sense that New Jersey goes first. Yeah. It would be a real value add to the state for however long it takes for other states to catch up. But I mean, you know, the population centers of, of New Jersey itself and then of New York and Philadelphia and, and places even, you know, Maryland, like it becomes a, becomes a real hub and it's going to happen. So to my mind, you better be first because being last makes no sense. There's no economic benefit to that. And if you could create a really robust, you know, cultivation and manufacturing processor and retail system, which it sounds like it's happening here. I mean, that's only to the only to the better. Yep. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, with each member of NJCAA that I meet, it seems like we're on the right track and yourself included. Thank you very much for coming here, Jay. Well, it's been an honor. Thank you. Yeah. I really like talking to you. So long. Thank you. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.